You're listening to Blessed, Living the Good Life According to Jesus, a study of the Beatitudes. For more information, visit our website at crosspointptc.com. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is preaching in Matthew 5 on the blessed life, because he keeps saying, blessed are these people, blessed are these people, blessed are these people. And what we're finding is that to be truly blessed is to be in the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus is saying, that you may have blessings in your life, you may have been blessed with a family or a job or, or whatever it is, but to truly be blessed is to know Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you know Jesus Christ, you are truly blessed. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, my prayer is that you would meet him and that you would grow in your understanding and realize, wow, this is what blessing really looks like. So um, I want us to uh, pray. Uh, we're going to look at the pure in heart, and I want us to pray again. Uh, if you guys weren't here last week, Yolanda Perry had a brain aneurysm, and she's had three pretty serious um, procedures. I've been, I've been keeping up to date with Michael Perry, her husband, um, and, and, and she's doing well. She's getting better, but I, I'm just going to get on my knees before God. Uh, if you want to, I, I know it's concrete. Some of you can't get on your knees, but posture your heart if you can't physically get on your knees. And um, we're just going to come before God and, and ask him to heal Yolanda and then just ask him for what he has in this next season. God, we come before you and we ask in your graciousness and mercy that you'd heal Yolanda. That the procedures that have gone well, that, that you would guard her from any infection or complication. God, we pray for Mike and the kids, that you would give them peace and comfort in this time. Uh, Lord, that you would mobilize our community of those of us who are friends with the Perrys to love and serve them in any way we can, Jesus. We pray that you would save people this morning, God, that you would save people this week, God, that, that you would bring people for us to baptize, for us to point to you and, and, and glorify you with. Um, and, and if nobody comes, God, we know you're still good and you're still working in the hearts of people and we'll have another baptism service, God. This isn't about us and how we look. It's about you and your glory, Jesus. So we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay. Um, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're talking about the heart today, and this is an interesting saying Jesus is telling us here. He's saying that the pure in heart are the ones who are going to see God. It's not the pure in actions. It's not the pure in motives, but that's where we like to run to, right? We've all used that phrase, well, my heart was in the right place. And anybody ever said that? It wasn't. It was, it's never been in the right place, like ever in all of eternity. Your heart has never been in the right place, but that's where we like to run to. We want to validate ourselves. Well, I wasn't so bad. Well, I'm not as bad as that. I'm, I've been better. I'm getting better. You know, it's just kind of we make excuses for ourselves. He also doesn't say it's, it's the pure in thought or it's the pure in reaction, which is where we like to lament, right? We, we, we look at this we're like, oh man, pure in heart, I really gotta get my act together in order to live out this beatitude, but that's not true either. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's, he's saying it is the pure in heart who are blessed, and the heart in scripture is the total person in our now modern day, like we like to think of heart as like our emotions, but in scripture, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the will 
will and the mind and the emotion. It's the totality of the person. It's every single part of you and me that exists. So what Jesus is saying is that the person who is pure, the person whose entire existence is without a single blemish, is the one who will see God. And that sounds unachievable and incredibly hopeless, and it should because it is. And we'll see why in a minute. But before we go there, let's look at what our culture is telling us because it's really helpful to understand what our culture is saying and how to respond to that from a biblical perspective and in a God-honoring way. Our culture's mantra is follow your heart, right? It's in every Disney movie. It's in every love song. It's in every Hallmark Lifetime Thanksgiving Christmas special that you're going to cozy up to and watch over and over again starring Harry Connick Jr. Like that is the message that our culture is preaching to us. It's everywhere. It's even in TJ Maxx. I went on a date with my wife. Look at this photo. I took this photo and put it on Instagram. Follow your heart. TJ Maxx is saying, here, hang this in your home as a permanent reminder of how to completely ruin your life. Like that is, that is essentially what they are saying. Um, and and, and, and um, we all remember Pocahontas. Pull this up. Pocahontas. This is from one of the songs. Listen with your heart. You will understand Okay, so now Disney's telling us understanding comes from listening to our hearts. She's saying, follow your heart when it comes to love and, and do whatever you feel, because that's a good idea, right? No. If you're a dad of a daughter, you're like, that's, that's, that's baloney. No, you do not follow your heart at all. Don't listen to it. It's terrible. He's not handsome, and he doesn't care for you. He's disgusting. He doesn't clean his room like that. If you're a dad of a daughter, you're looking at Pocahontas like, please, no, don't do it. <laughs> it struck a chord with me. Let's look at Apple. Uh, Steve Jobs uh, said this before he passed away. There is no reason not to follow your heart. Actually, there's a ton of really great reasons to not follow your heart. And we'll look at uh, the main one in a minute. If, if for those of you who read your Bible, I think it's hilarious that the apple has a bite taken out of it. And, and then there's that <laughs> quote. Just like, uh, Steve, um, no. The mantra, follow your heart, is solely responsible for innumerable and painful heartbreak, financial irresponsibility, and foolishness in our lives. And we live by it because it is the sermon that our culture is preaching to us, and you are taking extensive notes. You Instagram it every day. You Facebook it every day. You email it. You conversate about it. Let's move on to music. Uh, remember the band Rock Set? Let's show the Rock Set. Look at that. Yes, Flock of Seagulls coming at you. Just some, yeah, I love it. We need to bring that back. Can we bring that back? That'd be great. This is their famous song, Listen to Your Heart. Listen to your heart when he's calling for you. Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. So far, that's biblical, but they're not talking about Jesus. I don't know where you're going, and I don't know why, but listen to your heart before you tell him goodbye. This message preached, sung by the Roxettes in 1988, and then redone by DHT in 2005, is basically saying there is nothing else we can do but listen to our hearts and then do whatever it's telling us to do. The Roxette is saying, your heart is God. 
follow God, which is your heart, and, 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 and you'll just be okay. Anybody a John Mayer fan? Bring up a John Mayer photo. Look at him. That's, that's put together John Mayer. <laughs> that's the John Mayer we love and remember from Peachtree Street. In his song, Half of My Heart, he says, Oh, half of my heart's got a grip on the situation. Half of my heart takes time. Half of my heart's got a right mind to tell you that I can't keep loving you. Oh, with half of my heart, with half of my heart. John Mayer isn't even following his entire heart in this song. He's following half of it, which is terrible. And this is the duet with Taylor Swift that broke her heart. But thank God, because it gave us her new record, which is just phenomenal. And I love every second of it. So thank you, John Mayer, for that gift to pop music. I mean, she successfully crossed over from country music to pop music without a blink. Like, that's some Michael Jackson stuff right there. So here, the message is, I can't love you fully, but I know I should, and I have to make up my mind, so I'm going to follow my heart's leading on this and let you know where I am because by heart is how I achieve happiness. And our culture is screaming at us to follow our hearts, which is just another way of saying do everything you can to achieve happiness and fulfillment and do that by measuring it against how you feel and think instead of what is true which is a huge contrast to what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, saying, blessing happens to the pure in heart, and because of that, they get God. They see God. So think back to our intro. Purity in heart sounds unachievable and impossible because it is. Why is that? The reason is because our hearts are wicked. When God created everything, everything was perfect. We lived in harmony with God and with one another, and then humanity decided to disobey God, and that separated us from God. We suffered a spiritual death because of that. So everybody is born spiritually dead, uh, with the exception of John the Baptist, who was saved in the womb. There are probably some other instances, but the majority of us can say we're born spiritually dead, we're living our lives, we're heading towards physical death and eternal separation from God. And, and the Bible tells us the truth about our hearts apart from God. The Old Testament prophets longed for God to give us new hearts. Uh, we see that in Ezekiel, I think 36. Uh, it, 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 like there's just this longing because the Old Testament prophets understood the reality of our hearts. Let's look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Say all things. It's above everything. Think of every despicable act, person, thing that's been done, said, thought, thing that you've read in the news. There's that, and then above that is your heart. Like, that's sobering, right? I'll be like, oh, well, Hitler is one of the worst things that happened. No, your heart is worse than Hitler. Your heart is worse than the Holocaust. That is an offensive statement, but it's biblical and it's true above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then in, in the Psalms, Psalm 19, 12, he says this in the ESV, who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults. But I like the way the NLT puts it. This, this kind of makes it a little more translative. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? 
cleanse me from these hidden faults. Like, we are so wicked that there are things that are messed up in us that we don't even know about. And our Christianese and our southern culture of politeness, we call those blind spots. The psalmist calls them sins lurking in his heart. Cleanse me from these hidden faults. We are completely broken apart from Jesus Christ. And we like to push back on that, don't we? That, that kind of sense, that does something in you. Like what? Completely broken? Completely bad? Deceitful above all things? No, no, no. And when we push back on that, we say it's not that bad. There's just a few bad apples, and, and, and those bad apples are a product of their environment, right? Or their family, or their season of history, or their location. We like to think that if we can just clean up the cities and clean up the school system and clean up the neighborhood and clean up our politicians, then people will start behaving better. But we forget, as Martin Lloyd-Jones put it so nicely, that humanity fell from grace in paradise everything was perfect and they fell what are they not a product of their environment they were in harmony with god and one another and all of creation and they disobeyed they sinned they rejected god and and, and, and so it's not what surrounds us that defiles us jesus says that later on in this sermon it's us it's our hearts. So we need to stop blaming the internet. You have to stop blaming your parents. You have to stop blaming the politicians and TV and your friends. It is you. We are the ones responsible for this wickedness. And, and here's the thing. Just because you go to church and do all the things you're supposed to do and say all the things you're supposed to say doesn't mean you're exempt from what we're talking about today. Look at what Jesus said to the super religious people of his day in Matthew 12. This is awful. You brood of vipers. Can you imagine if I addressed you guys like that? Hey, good morning. Welcome to Crosspoint. You brood of vipers. Like you've never come back. Jesus says, how can you speak good when you are evil? How is that even possible? For out of the abundance, the heart of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's saying, how are, you, how are you talking good? How are you loving people? How can you say these things when you are wicked at the core? The truth is, your internet history is the real you. What you said to your wife in the kitchen last week, that's the real you. How you spoke to your children last night. That's the real you. What you thought about your boss when he walked away from your desk this week. That's the real you. Jesus goes on. Matthew 15. He's not done. He goes in on these dudes for like three chapters. You hypocrites! Whoa! First brood of vipers, now hypocrites. Can you imagine coming up for the benediction? All right, see you later, hypocrites. Have a good week in Peachtree City. Like, this is offensive to these religious people who are like, they're trying to do everything they're supposed to be doing. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips. These people come to church and they sing worship music. These people honor me with their lips. They read their Bible. They greet one another. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you doing? These people honor me with their lips. They open up a community group. They're honest and vulnerable. These people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
It is about the heart. In vain do they worship me, he says. Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of man, purity in heart should be a prayer of ours. God, please purify us because that's the only way we will become pure. And if you sit here this morning and you think this doesn't apply to you, you need to get on your knees and plead with God to show you what you're missing. Right now, if you have somebody else in your head that you think this sermon's for, repent. Don't deflect. This is for you. This is for me. This is for every single one of us. Because none of us are exempt from this apart from Jesus Christ. Churchgoer or atheist, outside of Jesus, you will never be pure. So the bad news is, you are worse than you think you are. Mike's laughing and nodding at me because he's experienced the tangible grace of God. I baptized him last year. And you will never be good enough to gain God's approval. But there's good news. Say, man, Josiah, that first half of the sermon really got me down. It should. Good news isn't good news unless there's bad news. The good news is that in God's infinite mercy and grace, he sent his son Jesus. He looked on his impure creation, and he said, I'm going to rescue them from their sickness, from death, from separation. I'm going to purify them with my son and Jesus lived a perfect life that we cannot live. He was pure of heart the entire time. And then he was hung on a cross and he was murdered and killed for our impurity. And then he was raised again from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And he's reconciled us back to God. We become pure in heart when Jesus gives us new hearts. That's how you become pure. When Jesus bestows that on you, Kent Hughes says it beautifully. Look at this. I love this. Kent is my dog. God demands a humanly impossible character and then gives us that character by his grace. And with that, he bestows a humanly impossible vision. And, and he's talking about enabled to see God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Say new. new. Say creation. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The impure you, the wicked you, the defiled you that is disgusting before God, disgusting before men. Everything that is wrong with this world, the thing that is deceitful above all things, God came, cleansed, removed the old, and put a new heart in you. He says in his letter to the Galatians, Check this out. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, and when they say sons in the Bible, they mean sons and daughters. When they say brothers in the Bible, they mean brothers and sisters for you ladies. Like, what, what about us? 
He's talking about you too. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. There it is. It's entering our hearts. It's cleansing our hearts. It's purifying our hearts. It's not something that we do. Adoption isn't something that we enact. Like the kids don't choose the parents. The parents come and they adopt the kids. It's not that we choose God. It's that in his grace and mercy, he chose us when we were disgusting it's, 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 a lot of people think that Christianity says, yeah, well, God looks on you and it's like, you're like a dirty little puppy. He's got to clean up. No, think about God walking through a pet cemetery and digging up bones of a puppy that died long ago and breathing, it's disgusting, and breathing life into it and that puppy coming alive, the old, the disgusting, the rotten, the, 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 the defiled is now gone. Now there's a, a playful bouncing, happy, golden doodle for us to play with, right? Non-allergenic. Everybody wins. That is the picture of adoption. Crying, Abba, Father, that means Daddy. That's that personal relationship with God. That's that intimacy that we have with the Father that we were separated from it for all of eternity because of our sin. Before we couldn't enter the presence of God, now we call him Daddy. That's a huge shift. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God purifies our hearts. He makes us clean. I was reading Ephesians 2. Sorry, Darcy, I don't have this. This is a shotgun, uh, Peyton Manning style. Uh, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And, though, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You weren't struggling to find God. You weren't trying really hard to seek out God. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Is there a part of that seeking that happens? Yes, we call that conversion, that Jesus gives you a new heart, and then you say, holy cow, I want to follow Jesus. That's how the regeneration, conversion, and then sanctification, and all of that's wrapped up, going back to the justification that is in Christ. And he, he expounds on this for those of you pushing back. And, and if you kind of cringe at that, that's good. Press into that. It, it's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. In which you once walked... So there we go. So you're dead, but you're walking. So that's the spiritual death, but you're physically alive. I got verses, people. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, until you're saved by Jesus, you're following Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's current at work, that is continually working, as my grandpa, Dr. Mayer, says among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So none of us are exempt. Everybody was born that way. Everybody was doing that. No one's better than anyone else. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, but we were, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You're not good. You're awaiting the wrath of God. But God, you got this tattooed on you, right, Ryan, from Romans? But God, one of Paul's favorite verses, uh, sayings, but God, being rich in mercy. Say rich in mercy. This is what we talked about last week. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. 
you have been saved. Ah, oh. not because you did everything you were supposed to. Not because you were really impressive. Not because you made sure to put the Bible as one of your favorite books on Facebook. Because you would have felt guilty if you didn't, right? I don't. It's probably on there. It's by grace that you've been saved. This is huge. This is God making us pure in heart. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who Jesus is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, the purification of our hearts allows us to see God both in everyday life and in the future to come. That's, that's sort of the second half of this. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, approved are the pure in heart. Happy are the pure in heart. The pure in heart are the ones who God smiles upon. That, that's what he's saying in the first part. The second part is for they shall see God. And that is they and they alone shall see God. And see God is see God now and et in eternity continuously. It's kind of the fullness of this verse of what, of what uh, uh, Jesus is saying. Um, so, so I think one way that we see see God when we're made pure in heart. I think we see God in one another. I think we see God in one another because once we're saved, we recognize that each other are created in the Imago Dei. It's the image of God. And we carry the imprint of our creator and it allows us to interact with one another on a level that, that is above any sort of hospitality, any sort of comfort, any sort of um, niceness or gentleness or friendship that could be extended sort of naturally. This is sort of a supernatural um, love that extends and we get to say, wow, my dad made you and you are awesome. Say, I'm awesome. I'm awesome. That's the only time I'm ever gonna ask you to say that. Turn to the person next to you. Say, you're awesome. You're awesome man. It's true. Shana, you're awesome. You don't have anybody sitting next to you, so I'm going to tell you. Who else is up? Danielle, you're awesome. Marilyn, you're awesome. Who else is alone? Thank you. Oh, man, it's good. Like, we can never, Ray Ortland says, we can never outdo one another in honor. Like, the church isn't going to be exhausted from encouragement. We should continually be reminding one another, hey, you're awesome. Not because you're impressive, but you're made in the image of God. You have the imprint of Jesus Christ on you. This is incredible. We see God in one another. Um, another thing that we see God is in creation. And it's different from um, sort of the atheist eye that looks at creation and sees something beautifully made. But, but how hopeless and how sad is the atheist perspective that that will one day just crumble and die and rot. And the Christian's perspective is God made that. It is singing his glory. And one day that's going to be revealed and we're going to have our eyes opened and we're going to actually see what a mountain is supposed to look like. We're going to taste water. Like, that's why water doesn't have any taste right now, people. Because when we get to heaven, it'll be the most delicious thing. That's a total eisegesis of the text. Um, but but I, th I think water is going to be, we're going to be like, oh, that's what water tastes like, right? <laughs> like, there's so many references in scripture about water and refreshing and our soul and it restore. And I'm just like, what does water taste like? It's going to be amazing. We see God in creation. I think another thing that happens to the Christian uh, when, when they're saved and they're made pure in heart is that uh, we're allowed to see God in suffering. And we've talked a bit about this this year, um, and, and we've prayed for several people in our congregation, Lydia and Samantha and Yolanda. Like We've had some serious things happen within our body this year, uh, Maddie and the Grants, and, um, and, 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 and it's just been incredible to watch uh, these individuals and the people in our body see God 
in the midst of their suffering. That doesn't mean it eliminates pain. That doesn't mean it eliminates the hurt. All it means is that we, we get to see how God is working it out, how he's working good in that situation. And yesterday, uh, I have a pastor friend who um, it, it, it just exemplified this perfectly. Um, six years ago, uh, he, he had a sweet little boy. I think he's like two or three months old. Um, and, and they put him down for a nap. And I think he was the second child in their family. And when they came to wake him up, he was gone. He had passed away. And I don't know, like, what you do with that. You know, you put your three-month-old down, and sweet little buddy goes to sleep, and then you go to wake him up, and he's not there. But my buddy wrote this on Facebook, and I think this is a huge picture of what we're talking about today. Six years ago, we said goodbye to our sweet boy. I miss him. It's a sad day, but one where we can also celebrate because of our hope in Jesus and the resurrection. I have learned more about God's grace these past six years than the first 30 combined. We see God in our suffering. And then finally, we will see God face to face one day. Pastor John puts it this way in 1 John. We'll put this up on the screen. Beloved, we are God's children now. I mean, he's excited about this. We're, we're God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. That's where I get my water verse from. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I mean, up until this point, God would kill you if you saw, like you put Moses in a mountain was like, here, you can see the bottom of my sandals because otherwise you'll die. And he walked past it. Like, and, and Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So there's this, there's this here but not yet sort of thinking. And everyone, say everyone, everyone. who thus hopes in him, that's Jesus, purifies himself as he is pure. So Jesus purifies us by giving us a clean heart. And then when we hope in him, which is what my buddy is doing with the passing of his son, we in turn purify ourselves. And it's not us purifying ourselves. It's not that we're doing anything. When we place our hope in Jesus, when our trust is in Jesus, when our faith is in Jesus, when everything we need is now resting in Christ, Christ takes that and he does the work and he works us out of it. He does that work in us and he brings it out of us. So we are purifying ourselves, but it's not something that we can pat ourselves on the back because we're hoping in Christ and Christ is the one who's producing that sanctification in us. So the application this week, honestly, is to put your hope in Jesus. And that's gonna frustrate some of you because you like to come here, you like to leave with something to do. And I'm, I'm wired that way as well. I'm like, all right, well, how do we put this into practice? But brother, sister, make sure you don't come here simply to leave with something to do. That's about you. Do you come to worship God? Do you come to prostrate yourself before the Father to lift up the glory of the Son? Or do you come to get a nugget that will get you through the week?
One of those is about Jesus. One of those is about you. And so if you're not saved today, if you don't know Jesus, my, my invitation is for you to come and be saved, to put your trust in Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus. If you're like, I want to follow Jesus, then do that today. We'd love to baptize you next week. It's heated. It's great. The creek wasn't heated, right? This is, we're living large right now. He did came out. Like if, and, and, and you can come give your life to Christ and we'll baptize you. We want to celebrate with you. If that's you today, put your hope in him and be purified. That heart that is deceitful above all things, watch God purify that thing. And then if you're saved today, if you follow Jesus, if you're a Christian, it's the same thing. I preach the same thing over and over and over again because it's the only thing that needs to be preached and it's the best thing that can be preached. If you're not preaching Jesus, if you're not preaching Christ and Christ alone by grace through faith, then I don't know if you're preaching Jesus because that's what Jesus preached and that's what Paul preached and that's what the prophets pointed to. So if you're saved, come to Jesus. Continue to hope in him and be purified. Hope in Christ and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is what we do in sort of the waiting period of, all right, well, does it really matter what we do if we're, if we're already purified? Yes, it matters. In the end of Revelation, Jesus says he's gonna come and he's gonna judge everyone according to what they've done. So it's, it's extremely important that, that we continue in uh, our following of Jesus, we continue in our seeking of his face, we continue in our worship and glorification of him. And when you do that, you will see God. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.